0: Our sermon text today is Ecclesiastes 3.16 to 4.16. It's a long text, so we're going to jump right in. Before we do, though, would you pray once more with me? Our Lord, we ask that you would guide us as we look to your word now, your living and active word. May it penetrate us to the deepest parts of our being and may... It do your work upon our hearts that we might truly live out our lives as your workmanship created to do the good works that you've prepared beforehand for us to the glory of Christ Jesus our Lord in whose name we pray Amen Ecclesiastes 3 verses 16 through chapter 4 verse 16 hear now the inspired word of God. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice even there was wickedness and in the place of righteousness even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same as one dies so dies the other they all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beasts for all is vanity all go to one place all are from dust into dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again, I saw all the oppression that's, oppressions that are done Under the sun, and behold the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of the oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been, and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw the toil that toil. I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. The fool folds his hand and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet... There is no end to all his toil and his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure. This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil for if they fall one will lift up his fellow but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move about under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet those who came later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word which inspired by God is our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God stands forever. So we look at today's text beginning in chapter 3 going in through all of chapter 4 and we see that Solomon speaks to some problem areas in life and if we are honest, we realize that there are problems in life, are there not? It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way it always was before the fall. Life was full of blessing and nothing else. Since the fall, by the grace of God, there are still blessings to be had, but they are intermingled with with the curse that mankind has brought upon itself through sin. And we should be honest about this. We should realize that, that life is not always all smiles and giggles, is it? Sometimes in evangelical culture, we feel like we have to uh, place a, a fake smile on our face and, and go through life always chipper and cheerful endlessly repeating christian cliches god is good all the time and all the time god is good true and yet that doesn't mean that life is happy all the time and all the time life is happy how are you today oh too blessed to be stressed well, boy, that's awfully blessed because I'm mighty blessed and I still am stressed an awful lot of the time. Right? We need to realize that this is a fallen world in which we live. We need to acknowledge that. Solomon has no problem acknowledging that. He has dealt with it throughout Ecclesiastes already and again today. He is very forthright, very honest, very upfront about some of the problems, some of the big problems that exist in life he acknowledges them even here as he writes under the inspiration of the holy spirit and in this text i kind of saw three problem areas that he dealt with there's the problem of injustice there's the problem of death and there's the problem of solitude first of all injustice justice is something that can kind of uh Kind of get a bad name sometimes in in evangelical circles can't it there are people within uh conservative evangelical circles that that are uh referring people referring to people often in a pejorative way as as social justice warriors and they they're they're afraid that that these people are are abandoning the gospel of salvation by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone in exchange for a social gospel that is no gospel at all and it's a legitimate concern because there are times that people historically have done that there are times in our day as well that that happens as well but at the same time there can be no questioning that God is in fact a God of justice justice does concern him it concerns him mightily and it should concern us mightily as well what is it that God tells us through the prophet Micah that is required of us but to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. As such, injustice is one of those things that that most angers God. It should anger us as well. On the one hand, we, we have no problem being enraged at injustice, do we? Just let somebody treat you unfairly or treat your loved ones in a way that they do not deserve and you are likely to be very concerned about injustice in that moment. But what I've found is is that the types of injustice that that most concern me tend to be the injustices that most concern me. Right? It's not so much the injustice that I'm concerned with as it is me that I'm concerned with. And I don't like being treated unjustly. If we are as concerned about justice as we ought to be, then we will be as concerned about it in the lives of others as we are in so far as it affects us. And the fact that we're not is why it's possible to be to be very concerned about justice on the one hand and at the same time to be terribly negligent of our responsibility to be concerned about judgment, judgment justice. and justice. That's possibly what Solomon had in view as he began writing in verse 16 of chapter 3. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there is wickedness. I don't think he's talking about two separate places in the place of justice and the place of righteousness. I think he's using a, Again, a Hebrew parallelism here for emphasis, saying that, that in the place of justice, the place of righteousness, where, where things are supposed to be just and right and true and good, even there, there is wickedness. Most likely, let's say he's, he's dealing primarily and, and in the first sense with, with the court system, the legal system that, that is supposed to deal with the, the appeals of people to justice. But really it, it would apply to any place where, where justice and righteousness are to be expected. And We look in our world today and we see that not much has changed under the sun do we? Because in many of these places where, where one should be able to go for justice, one, one should be able to expect righteousness. We look to these places and we find wickedness. Indeed we see it in our own legal system where simple studies will show all the time that those who have more, more wealth are, are going to be more privileged than those who have less wealth. Justice should not be that way. We see it in our political system. It's almost cliched, isn't it, in our political system. I remember when I was a child, we had a, our family had a board game that we used to play, and it, it was a game called Lie, Cheat, and steal the game of political power and it's so much a cliche because it really is that way isn't it you know, in the political arena lying cheating stealing are all too prevalent in our educational systems right we we should have righteousness and and things should be right there but just this past week we saw that there was a big admissions scandal right for some of the some of the finest universities in the land instead of people gaining admission on their own merits what they had accomplished what they're able to do what what should have been the just and right standards there were people who had instead unjustly achieved that you think of the scandal that took place at Michigan State with Larry Nasser and the cover-up in terms of that we think of such things and we just shake our head and we wonder how it can be. And sadly it's no different in the church. throughout the church there have been many scandals, not just the huge scandal in the Catholic Church, but recently I saw that uh, in another, major denominations, Southern Baptist Church, which is you know, the largest Protestant denomination in the United States. There similarly was a, a scandal, and it's not just those denominations that we point at. It's really something that happens throughout the church. Month after month, year after year, I see high-profile pastor after high-profile pastor who, who falls prey to some scandal ranging from sexual misconduct to To abuse of power. And it's scary. It's scary as a pastor to see this. These these oftentimes men that I've admired, men that I've respected, men that I've learned from and been blessed by, and to see them fall into sin. I, I saw a quote from Derek Thomas dealing with this fact. He said, He's a pastor, by the way, and he spoke about this. He said, I I used to want to be as holy as possible. He said, that was my goal. I, I, as a pastor, just wanted to be as holy as I could possibly be. He said his goal has kind of changed. He said, now I just pray, oh Lord, just let me get to the finishing line without causing you some major embarrassment. He looks around him at the world and he just sees these other pastors these people who are his friends his colleagues his, his his mentors and he sees them falling one by one and it it is a reality we we know our own frailness our own weakness we will not become so prideful to think that we are not able to fall as well Our mindset should be like that of the hymnist who writes, prone to wander Lord I feel it prone to leave the God I love That should be our heart's mindset, the humility that is needed knowing that we could fall not just victim to injustice but we could be perpetrators of injustice as well Well that's one response. Solomon seems to have a different response as well though he he seems to be asking in the midst of this, where is God in the midst of all this? Where is God in the midst of all this injustice? And as he considers that question, he has a a good biblical answer. A good biblical answer in verse 17, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. This follows right out of earlier in Ecclesiastes 3, right? There's a time for every purpose under heaven, right? Bad things happen, yes but there's a time for God's judgment as well. And God will judge on the last day and he's confident of that. Uh, Psalm 26 tells us the Lord comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in faithfulness. And Revelation 21 tells us that that in that last day he will come and he will wipe away every tear and death will be no more. He will set all things to rights and and we don't know when that will be and we don't know why exactly the Lord tarries and doesn't come now but we know that it is coming and brother and sister to be honest with you while it is hard to wait for that day while we long for that day and say how long oh lord how long we should at the same time be thankful for the patience of god and thankful for the mercy of god because it is only because of his mercy and his patience that we are able to go on living even and I saw a quote from from Bauckham just yesterday. He said, do you know it was his mercy that woke you up this morning? Because his judgment should have killed you last night. And that is true. Each one of us deserves to die in our sins. We don't deserve to take our next breath. But by the mercy of God, we do. And so we give thanks for his mercy. We give thanks for his patience with us. And we rejoice in the fact that he will one day set all things to right. That we can be confident of that because of his actions in the past. He has proven himself to be faithful even to the greatest of degrees on the cross where he was willing to bear the penalty for our sin. To to be pierced by nails and to shed his own blood. To cry out in agony, yielding his last breath for us. This is why we can believe his promise for the future. The reality is, though, that that while life continues under the sun in this broken and fallen world, death is still very much a factor now. And that's the second problematic area that Solomon turns his attention to. I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, in verse 18, that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. It sounds a lot like the prevailing wisdom of our age, doesn't it? You know, humans are really no different than all the other animals, right? We're just maybe more evolved in certain ways, or, you know, we're just animals. We have no difference between us and them. Uh, That's not what Solomon is saying. That's not what he's saying, because, because he, after all, had been taught by his father, David, who... Wrote in Psalm 8, what is man, that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. He knew that God had created humans in god's own image and they are different in that they're created to have fellowship with god created to care for the creation as his vice regent so if that's not what he meant what exactly does solomon mean here this is what he means he means that that in this way in this one way man is no different than the beasts for all he has and, and all that he is and all that he has going for him, in this way he is just like the beast, he will die. What happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other, right? He's told us this already. It's not the way things are supposed to be. It's a consequence of the fall again it's something that happens because of our sin if it it, fl- it flows from the sinfulness of mankind and Adam and Eve we recall wanted to be like God that was the first sin right they wanted to be like God and here we see that that we are reminded by death that flows from that sin that instead of being like God we are like the animals right we are not the Creator we are creatures. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward he says and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth in 21 and, and, and when we see this up and down I don't want you to mistake what he's saying here is down is hell and up is heaven no that's not what he's he's saying what he's saying rather is, is down is just down into the ground the place you know when somebody dies a beast dies you just, you know, they go into the ground and that's where they are as opposed to having an immortal spirit that goes on beyond that and and what he's saying is 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 who knows through empirical evidence, who, who knows who has experienced that can say, Yeah, I, I've seen this, I know what happens. I when when we die, I have been there. We can't we can't say that because there's not one who has done that among us. It's simply an article of faith. We we have to trust in God that when we die, we're not just stuck in a coffin, laid in the ground, and that's where we are. Solomon doesn't seem to care very much for the, the idea of the, the, the whole industry of heavenly tourism that seems to be kind of uh, uh, prevalent in our world today, you know, where people die and go to heaven, and then they come back and write a book and make a movie and make a whole lot of money off of it. Um, you can kind of tell that I'm not a big fan of that either. Uh, I, I think that most of it is, is uh, well, some of it's probably well-meaning. Most of it's probably a scam. But, but what we see here from... Solomon is that it's not something we have empirical evidence about we have to trust God and so we live our lives trusting him we live our lives trusting God following God living the life that he has given us in the here and now I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work for that is his lot who can bring him to see what will be after him we come to a third issue Here's the third issue, Solomon, it would seem, is retracing his steps back to injustice at first here. He says, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. and Behold the tears of the oppressed. But, but I don't think he's just saying this to kind of pick up on what he had said before. I think he's turned his attention to a new topic, and it's because of what we see here in the words that follow, he says, "Behold the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them." See, I, I don't think he's focusing so much on the oppression as as the solitude, right? There was no one to comfort them. They were on their own. They were all by themselves, and this is a big deal. Come on, Solomon, how, how big a deal is it, right? We've all been a little lonely. Come on, Solomon. Well, it's a big deal, apparently, because look what Solomon says about it in verse 2. I thought the dead who were already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. Kind of dramatic, Solomon. But better than both, verse 3, is he who has not yet been born has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the son wow those are strong words they, they sound impious to us at first glance what he's saying is to suffer injustice is bad but to suffer it alone is is unspeakably bad because it not only is a violation of the justice that we should have but it's a violation of the of the right order in which we are created, where God created us for fellowship with one another, to not be alone, but to be in relationship with him and with others. That's the very way that we were created. That's how we were created. We were created in the image of a triune God who has eternally existed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in relationship one with another, this communal aspect of God and the sad thing is it's not just something that happens to us but oftentimes it's something we do to ourselves right we wall ourselves off from others we we separate ourselves from others in all kinds of ways. One of those ways is through our work. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work came from a man's envy of his neighbor. This is also vanity and striving after the wind. You see, he so says sometimes we look at what our neighbors have and instead of seeing them as, as a friend, as a neighbor, as a, as a co-laborer in life, as somebody that we, we need to get along with and work together with and, and love well. And have them love us well. Instead, we see them as as somebody we need to compete with. Right? We need to keep up with the Joneses. They got a bigger car. They got they got a, a addition built onto their house. Man, I need to I need to get what they have. I need to have mine be bigger and mine be better. Because they have theirs, it becomes a competition as opposed to rejoicing in the good benefits that your friends and your families and your neighbors and your acquaintances have. We should rejoice in what they have. It should have no bearing on how we feel about what we have. For God has blessed us as he has blessed us. And However, he has blessed us. We should see it as an opportunity to share those things in community with others even in the things we do gain and profit. Again, he says in verse 7, dropping down to there, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, yet there's no end to all his toil. He says he, he doesn't have anybody to share his things with, and yet he keeps working and working and working to get more things. Got to have more things. I got to work and work and work and get more and more and more. And he has nobody to share it with. What a waste, he says. For whom am I? toiling and depriving myself of pleasure he says he he never has time to just sit back and relax and enjoy life the life that God has given him and the blessings that he has because he's so busy working for no one else but himself it's it's a thing where he's just running around chasing his own tail we do that sometimes one commentator put it this way he said work has meaning primarily as a way of expressing love that is a means of accumulating individual wealth. I thought that was really wise. You know, we, we work to earn a living, right? But, but even in that, we should see that in the, the, the things that we earn as being an opportunity to bless others, to love others, to serve others so that we might exist in community with them because being alone is no way to be alone. Verses 9 through 12, he he makes this point three times. He essentially says two is better than one, right? It's better to be together than apart. He says community is better than individuality, right? We shouldn't just live for ourselves. We know this. We've known this from the beginning of time, before the fall. God creates everything. It is good, he says. Each day, it is good, He does this work. It is good. Oh, wow. He makes man. It is very good. Now what comes after this echo of it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is very good. He says in Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone. This is before sin has even entered the world and God is pronouncing something not good. And so he creates woman out of man and brings them together. And we often think of this in terms of marriage. It's not good for man to be alone. And so it's a marriage. But it's not really a marriage verse. It's a community verse, right? Because man wasn't just like a single guy at that time, right? He was, he was solitary, by himself, all together. Community came out of that. Community is good. It's right. We should long for it. That's what Solomon is telling us here. We should have community around us because we can relate to one another. We can serve one another. We can love one another. We can learn from one another. That's what he's talking about in verse 13 and following as he talks about this, this old and foolish king who no longer knows how to take advice from others. He said, I've got it. I don't need you. I don't need your input. I've got this taken care of. He said, No. That is not the way to be. For You can be surrounded by all kinds of people that you rule over, essentially, he says. But there will be none that will rejoice in you. Surely this also is vanity and striving after the wind. Better to be a leader who takes advice than one who has all the answers. Well, all of this said, Martin Luther put it this way regarding chapter four. He said the meaning is, it is better to be in association with others and to enjoy things in common than to be a solitary miser who only cares about himself and grabs things for himself alone. In society there is mutual help, common work, common solace. So very true. Well, I'm wrapping these things up quickly here. I just want to bring to the fore this one truth that I saw in looking through this as we we considered injustice and we considered the problem of death and we consider the problem of, of solitude, it should not escape us of what exactly Christ Jesus did and what He did for us. right? He, he who was God took on human flesh. while nothing has changed under the sun, from Solomon's day to Jesus' day to our day, there is a sense in which we have it much better than Solomon did because we live on the other side of Jesus, on the other side of the cross. Right? Because at the cross, what did Jesus do? But but he he received injustice upon himself that we deserved. He took it on him. He received the injustice that was that was that was heaped upon him, the 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 holiest man that ever lived, the most righteous man that ever lived, the the perfect God-man was tried unjustly, was convicted unjustly, was crucified and condemned unjustly. He received the brunt of that injustice and he did it to the point of death. He... Took that death upon himself on the cross. And when he did that, he did it all by himself, right? Think of him in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night he was betrayed. His friends that he had gathered with him to pray for him, falling asleep, leaving him to his own. And then when he was crucified, his friends having abandoned him, and even his Heavenly Father, with whom he had had eternal fellowship, closing his eyes upon him to the point where Christ would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus took injustice upon himself. He took death upon himself. He took solitude upon himself that we ultimately might not have to have those. right? That we might have his grace. Dear brothers and sisters, he did it for you. Trust in him. Depend upon him. Know that salvation is found in him alone. And live for him. Live for his glory. Pray that he would take your life and make you into the person he would have you be walk with him know him and know the joy of your salvation would you pray with me heavenly father we thank you for being our great savior and we pray that indeed you would now take our lives and and that you would use them for your purposes that you would You would use them to bring about your glory. That you would use them that your kingdom might be made more abundantly manifest in and through us. Do this all. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.